0: Yeah! Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another amazing episode of the Leadership Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders to get better. Folks, my name's Jared Hogue, and I'm joined with the one, the only, Roman. I'm married to Julianne, who is a Princess Johnson, everybody.
1: Oh, man. Thank you. Yes, she is. She is definitely a princess. Fun fact about her, she actually played a princess in uh, in high school. She was was the lead in a little play called Cinderella. Uh, she sang, she danced, she was full of grace and, uh, nailed it, crushed it. And then I married her like two years after that. So it was pretty awesome.
0: I, that, that was amazing. That was amazing. What you just went through. Not only that, did she play Cinderella in high school? She's also dressed up at Halloween as Tinkerbell and Rapunzel that I'm aware of.
1: She was actually not Rapunzel. That is false. I dressed up as uh, Flynn Rider. And uh, she dressed up. Wait, was she? Rapun- she what? She was Rapunzel. You know what? Now that I'm talking it out, she definitely was. Okay, that's my bad. I was getting confused with another Halloween when we went as uh, we went as Alice. She was Alice from Alice in Wonderland, right. and I was Wolverine from X Men. Okay, uh, a wonderful couple. Yes. Uh, but- that that uh, cinematic movie history couple doesn't get any better than Alice and Wolverine.
0: And we're joined once again, everybody, with Landon Wyland. Thanks for joining us again, man.
2: Hey, yo! <laughs> so excited to be on the podcast again, Landon. What
1: what is your like? Uh, we'll go down in history as the best Halloween costume you've ever worn.
2: Best Halloween costume I've ever worn. Actually, just really, really quick story here. Built one. Built one won uh, an incredible prize for it, a giant really? pixie stick. I mean, it was the greatest prize you could ever win at eight years old, but it was a—it was about stick. 10 feet tall. It was a SpongeBob costume made out of a cardboard box and a bed egg. I don't even know what those things are called, those squishy things you put on beds. Mm. Anyone know what those are egg called? Crate. Egg crate. Egg crate. Egg crate foam. Egg crate foam. Yeah, it was great. PVC pipe. I didn't do any of it. My dad did it all, and I took all the credit. But it's great memories. So you were. So the prize sponge was a giant pixie stick. Y- a box of giant pixie sticks. Oh. I thought you dressed up as a giant.
0: That's pixie what stick. I thought at first too. But he went as a giant SpongeBob. <laughs>
1: that makes more sense. If that would win than a giant <laughs> pixie stick.
0: Because at first I thought he went as a giant pixie stick and won. A, a someone dressed up as SpongeBob. But that'd be real weird.
1: Landon, the way you worded that story was
2: extremely confusing. and Jared and I are both thrown for a loop. I I hope it was entertaining at least.
0: Oh, man. What a great day it is for a podcast, everybody. We've got a great show for you. This is episode 68. Episode 68. Roman, we are quickly approaching 70, and then 100 will be right around the corner. Uh, You
1: did. I would like to point out real quick that you just said uh, episode 68 uh, with a P. <laughs> you said s- <laughs> And I thought that was funny, yes. so I had to just call it out. Yes,
0: folks. Episode 68 of the Leadership <laughs> Podcast. Uh, we've got a phenomenal interview for you. We had a, 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 an author of a book on the last time with Frank Beeler talking about the myth of balance. And today we've got Rich Birch from Unseminary on the show talking about his latest book called Unreasonable Churches and it's about 10 churches. It's basically a case study of 10 different churches that did unreasonable things and got unreasonable results in a great way. Um 10 totally different churches and Rich actually talks about how he kind of stayed away from like the big 6, you know, like Life Church and Elevation. The amazing churches—we talk a lot about them here on the Leadership Podcast—but he didn't do a case study on those churches. He specifically chose churches that a lot of people hadn't heard of that were doing amazing things. Um, And the book is just laid out so, so well. At the end of each chapter, there's questions for you and your team to discuss and action steps for you it's very well put together. Um, And I think everybody should go pick up this book. You can pick it up at at unreasonablechurches.com. You can pick it up at Amazon. It's a really, really great book. And uh, we're going to be talking to Rich about it here in just a moment. He actually kind of riffs off the script, if you will, and talks about some things that actually never made it in the book. Um, It was some really interesting stuff. Uh, But before we get to the interview, Roman, how is it that we're able to do this podcast?
1: Man, Jared, I'm so glad you asked that question, and I have an answer for you. And here it is: uh, It's because we have a, a website. It's called CreativeSheep.org that funds this podcast. And what you can find there is, if uh, if hey, if you're on a creative team at a church, or maybe uh, you you you're just the lead pastor and you're looking for some creative elements for your church, you can go to CreativeSheep.org, and we've got a whole library of stuff you can choose from. Or if you need some custom work, hit us up there. Also, uh, if you want to find show notes to this podcast. Mm. You can find the podcast show notes on that website as well, and like links to books and stuff we throw in there. So if you want to pick up a book that we mentioned on here, go to the show notes, click that link, and you can pick it up. Uh, But yeah, creativesheep.org, check it out. It's the hotness.
0: (laughs) That's right, folks. Uh, This, again, it's episode 68 of the Leadership Podcast, and here is our conversation with Rich Birch. Well, Rich, thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. It's an absolute honor to talk to you. Hey Jared, I am looking forward to it. Uh, thank you for everything you do at Creative Sheep. Absolutely, man. So let's. But uh, before we jump into the book that you've just written, uh, mm-hmm. let's let's give everybody a little bit of background, like how you got where you are, what you're doing today, that sort of thing.
3: <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, happy to. So I'm married. I've got two teenage kids, 14 and 16. That, that definitely keeps me humble. Keeps <laughs> me on my toes. Uh, that's for sure. I uh, I've been in ministry for a long time. I've local church wonk. I love talking about the local church, love serving local churches, love, you know, just even going to church on the weekend. So that, that's really been my, you know, my, my life's work. Uh, on I have a blog called Unseminary. It's also a podcast. Um, and my day job actually, interestingly, just switched about a year ago. Uh, so I'm actually an executive director at a Christian camp in Canada. So I'm from Canada and actually moved back there. Although the last seven, eight years, uh, I was in New Jersey at a church called Liquid Church, which I think you had Ben Stapley on um, yeah, from there. So we did. a member of our team there. So he's he's a great guy.
0: Very, very cool. Um, Mm -hmm. a couple things there. Number one, you don't look nearly old enough to have two teenage, two two teenage kids. Um, and two, I did not realize, I thought on seminary was your full-time gig. So you're, you're in the same boat as creative sheep. Like this is not my full-time gig. Um, that's very cool. I didn't realize that.
3: No, it's true. It is a, uh, it is a passion project, um, you know, side hustle, whatever you call it, you yeah. know, who knows eventually down the road, yeah. you know, may end up doing it more, uh, you know, more full-time, but at this point that's what it is, which is great.
0: Yeah, man, we're going to have to have you back just to talk about that. Talking about how, I mean, <laughs> writing a book, having a full-time job plus doing on seminary, uh, man, that's, that's big stuff. Plus if I'm not mistaken, you've been working with Carrie Newhoff on like, uh, there was, it was it the Canadian church conference or something like that.
3: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, Kerry's a, a dear friend of mine. I was um, a part of, if you know his story, you know, he uh, launched out about 10 years ago. They kind of, well, more than that, 15 years ago, they merged three churches together and then 10 years ago launched out kind of in their current um, iteration and called Connectus. And so I was there at that moment, um, really helped them go from one location to two. And so he's he's a dear friend. So actually, when we moved back, um, we're back at that church and um, we're doing a conference uh, or we did a conference in June, um, Yeah, which was great. A lot of fun called the Canadian Church Leaders Conference, which ironically was for Canadian church leaders. So it was <laughs> uh, uh, but you would be amazed how many people asked, uh, like how, how many people asked, who's this conference for? Or well, it's called the Canadian Church Leaders Conference, so I, I think that tells you who it's for, right?
0: So, uh, I feel which is like kind of we funny. named so, it yeah, pretty aptly there. That's pretty. That's pretty amazing. Right. Um, so so okay. Stuff. So you wrote this book, Unreasonable Churches, and folks, let me just encourage you right now: go pick up this book. Um, you can get it anywhere, and I'm sure Rich will tell Thanks. you where the best place to go get it. But it's available. Um, I, I think I got my copy on Amazon. And Mm -hmm. the book is put together so well, it's basically a bunch of case studies of churches who have done unreasonable things and by them doing these unreasonable things have seen unreasonable results through their unreasonable efforts. Um, And so just Mm -hmm. a phenomenal book, and I can't recommend it enough. And Rich, not only that, I love the way that you put put it together. We were talking about this briefly before we started the conversation here, in that every chapter ends... Uh, with some questions to ask yourself, to ask your team, as well as just some like walkaway points of what if you were to look at this like this? And I, and I love that. And we're going to dive into some of that here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one thing you set up and, and I'd love for you to throw out this statistic is just in the intro, there's a big mm-hmm. problem that's mm-hmm. happening in the church. Mm-hmm. What is that?
4: Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, you know, interestingly, there's this. A lot of times you'll hear the stat that 80% of all churches are plateaued or in decline, but actually, it's a lot worse than that. 94% of all churches are losing ground against the growth of the communities they're in. So, so what that means is the, you know, only six percent of churches are growing faster than the than the communities they're in, or only six percent of churches are actually. Um, really gaining ground or, or making more impact uh, in their community, and so so what I tried to do a couple of years ago on the podcast is kind of behind the scenes. We don't really tell anybody we're doing this. Is I've gone out to really interview churches who are bucking that trend, who are that six percent, and and this book really is kind of pulls up ten of the stories together. We deliberately tried to tell kind of. Um, stories that were not from the kind of name brand churches. You know, there's like those six churches that we all talk about all the time. Um, and so what we tried to do is, um, you know, like I've had many people call it. They're like, wow, like I never heard of this church before, which makes me happy. Um, and so, you know, there's there's a couple in there that you've probably heard of before. But, um, but we've tried to tell stories that are just normal churches, ultimately because of this. This is the reason why. So I really wrote this book for my own team. Um, You know, I, I love talking to church leaders. Like I said earlier, I'm a church walk. I could talk to church leaders all day long. Um, But, but really I found my team wasn't as much into that. They, they, they weren't, you know, they weren't as interested in talking to other church leaders. And so what I wanted to do was really package up 10 conversations. Um, and say, why don't we read through these together, and then really use them as fodder for our church? Not to say, hey, we're, we should be a church like that, um, you know. Not to say, like we should do that, but maybe there's something in our midst that we should try. Which has been the highest compliment, as people have, you know, said, like, oh, like I, you know, this has given me, you know, new faith to try something new in our church. So um, that's that's really what that statistic is all about.
0: Man, that's amazing, and I love one of the things you said in the book is that this book hopefully will give you that permission to go try something new. I absolutely mm. love that. Um, so, you know, what we're going to do here is you actually, it's a it's a case study of essentially 10 different churches um, and each yep. one breaking down something that they did. Um, and, and we're just going to tackle three of them. We're not going to have enough time to go through all 10. So we're just going to tackle three of them here. Um, and the first one being the chapter you wrote on unre- unreasonable fundraising. And I'm leading off with this because I'd imagine this is going to perk some ears, because um, anytime you talk about money for the church, it's, it's always a good thing. Um, and yeah. so, but, but you talk, you tell a story of a church down in Orlando that, honestly, man, like, I got nervous reading this, like, the, the, the <laughs> capital, what they did, like, I I've, I've felt it on the inside of me, like, holy crap, that takes some serious cojones to do that. Like, tell us about it.
4: Yeah so we we led this is actually the first book we first. um you know, church we talk about in the book, and uh, I love this church. It's an art church in Orlando. They're doing all kinds of great things, and we led with fundraising because, frankly, a lot of churches are struggling with money. And so I was like, you know, let's lead with that. Uh, you know, get that story out there to try to, you know, you know, hook people in. And it's an amazing story, um, really, for a couple of reasons. First of all, they um, were a portable church that um, you know was was meeting, uh, you know, like so many churches, uh, and they um, found themselves coming up. Against the financial, um, you know, need like so many churches have. The, the punchline, and then we can unpack it from there. The punchline is this: church, um, they because of what was happening in their location, because they were needing to um, really um, do a great job with what they were doing. They, uh, they needed to do really two fundraising campaigns in a very short period of time. Um, you know, and, and really ended up being back-to-back campaigns. And so, uh, basically six months apart, they ended up going out and ended up raising a tremendous amount of money. Actually, I I can't remember the number off the top of my head. I think it ended up being like 1.2 or $1.3 million in the first round. And in the next round, they ended up raising another 900,000, you know, from the same group of people from a, from not a large church, like this is not, you know, th- this is not a, a massive church. There are, you know, five, six hundred people in that size. Um, and they just were so burdened with the vision that God had for them. that they said, you know, we've got to kind of take a no hold bar, no bars, hold, however that thing goes, <laughs> approach, step out and, uh, you know, and interact with their, you know, with their people and ask them ultimately to, you know, to take a big, to take a, the next big step.
0: Which it's an amazing story. Cause yeah, in the first round it was, it was like one, it was 1.2, 1.3 million dollars. And they, in the, when they first, when they first opened the doors to, to give, um, and and I want to talk about how that came about, but when they essentially, like Mm -hmm. when the night came, they did this Sunday night worship experience after a a bunch of stuff preceding this, which is what I really want to focus on Mm -hmm. here. But in that first deal, you said that um, they had one point two one point three million dollars uh, pledged, and in that one night brought in a half a million dollars
4: right one night right. absolutely. Well,
0: and I think so, the
4: principal here, um, they they had a burning platform. They, you know, they they had to raise the money. They were up against the wall with the school they were were meeting in. um they they needed to um you know, to move quickly. And you know, I think that is a um you know that that can be a, Uh, you know, that's a transferable lesson for all of us that, you know, when we're communicating, particularly about money, um, you know, we need to be not only clear why this is important, but why is this important now? Um, Because people are frankly willing to let the money sit in their bank accounts for as long (laughs) as possible uh, before they transfer it to your bank account and so your church's bank account. And so, um you know being clear with them and and they had you know they were really given the gift of like gosh if we don't raise this money we're going to have to move out um you know we're going to be up against the wall um you know which which ultimately led them you know to being able to do that and you know we I, we experienced i experienced a similar thing actually we talked about Connexus church um earlier in uh, in this conversation and you know when we launched that out we had a a financing kind of deal structured and um, long story short, Carrie's talked about this in a few places, but um, you know, long story short, that deal fell apart and we had to raise $600,000 in a month. There wasn't, it was the same kind of thing. If, if we don't raise the $600,000, we just won't exist anymore. Like it'll be, we're done, you know, we won't be able to move forward. And again, the same principle at play uh, there's a burning platform there and, you know, the, when, when a compelling vision, so the why, when it connects with a, a, an urgent now, a why now, uh, you know, that will motivate people. That will, you know, you know ultimately, um, you know, push people to, to make a decision one way or another.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I love some of the principles you pulled out of this whole thing. And you already talked about some of it, but not being afraid to take on challenges. I love that you said that Elevate Life Church was actually given the gift of essentially being kicked out of this school um, that that yep. they had been meeting in and setting up, tearing down week after week. And then they they find out you got to go. Like it, it wasn't an mm-hmm. option. It wasn't like a God thing that God spoke to them and said, you need to go build a building, or that they had just grown to a point where they felt like, yeah, we need to go build a building right now. It truly was mm-hmm. this is the only option. Um, mm-hmm. and they were too concerned of leaving the community and that their church could fall apart if that if that if that was what it came to and so they went this route what i love about this story is the their approach to communicating this vision they didn't just get up on the weekends and hey we're going to build a building everybody give it wasn't that at all it was in fact um it was it was probably one of the um i would say one of the less sexy ways of doing this um because i would imagine that that that, that pastor as he's going through this I would imagine there were times that it felt like, man, is this even going to work? And so I'd love for you to explain their approach to selling this vision to their church.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Tim and Mark, the two—so Pastor Tim's the lead guy, and then Mark's the executive pastor there— um, they met, uh, over a six week period, they met with 60 small groups, um, and ultimately ended up meeting with 600 people. Now the, 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 important principle to pull out here. And I actually, I don't, I didn't really get into this in, into the, I talked more about the logistics of how it happened. So basically they, they were doing two a night, they would double stack these and wow. were out. Um, you know, they would end up going like to one group. And then, you know, then they jump in the car and get to another group. Now, I think there's the principle there. There's a part of the principle there around, you know, to raise big resources. It it does take effort. It's not magical. Mm. You have to get out in front of people. I think the other part of this, too, is people want to see whether – um, you know, whether you're bought in as a leader and when you break it down into small groups like that, a group of eight to 10 people, they really get a chance to eyeball the leaders and ask the questions that they want to ask and ultimately do what I like to call the sniff test. You know, do they pass the like, are these guys in, are these people in on this thing? Mm. Cause if they're just asking me for my money, And I don't sense that they're fully in. Um, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be committed, which is which is a whole other, um, you know, another piece of this puzzle is, um, you know, oftentimes I I think we can look to, um, you know, we can we can make a misstep. And the people that are doing kind of the asking or out kind of interacting with folks, they're not bought in, in in the sense that they haven't given first. And I know. You know, Tim as the lead guy, and Mark is you know key part of their team. They were actually a part of that. You know, really before this whole process, they had really went before the Lord and said, "Lord, um, what is it that we should give, and how can we contribute?" So ultimately, again, it's an intangible thing behind the scenes. It doesn't fit in in a you know on a spreadsheet, but you know ultimately people you know could look at them and say man, um, are, are those guys in? Um, have they bought in? And for them to ultimately ask people to join them rather than like, Hey, you guys should give to this thing. I haven't given to it, but you should give to oh, it. Man. Um, which, which does come across that does, um, you know, that does relate actually I a number of churches have done that, you know, um, the um, the first time I had heard of a church doing a mass kind of group engagement thing like that was Willow Creek. Um, now this was, Gosh, 15 years ago, and actually, Bill had um, this the lead pastor there at Little Creek in Chicago. They ended up having a hundred small group meetings at his house, if you can believe it. Um, mm-hmm. And they paraded everyone through their house um, over about a 12-week period. So, and it was the same kind of thing. They ended up double-stocking, multiples on weekends, that kind of thing. And it was the same issue. You know, that he he was like, listen, I've got to be able to look people in the eye. And say like, hey, you should join us. There is no greater mission that we can give to than This, um, you know, at this moment. And so then, ultimately, by the time you get to talk about it publicly, um, you know, they had already had so much interaction with people. They had so much, you know, kind of um, skin in the game that you know it, it became a, um, you know, it, it God used all that to ultimately motivate people to give.
0: That's amazing. And one of the things I love that you said very early on in explaining this is. That in doing something like this, when you're, you're raising capital, you're raising funds, that it doesn't just magically happen. It does take some work. Um, and one quote I go back to all the time, and I love it. It was St. Augustine who said, work as though everything depends on you, but pray as though everything right. depends on God. And I think yep. I look, we t- keep talking about Kerry Newhoff, and I, I love Kerry. And one of the things he said on Todd Wilson's podcast was that oftentimes we over-spiritualize what happens in the church and under-spiritualize what happens in the marketplace. And I think oftentimes we think it is a magical thing that takes place. And even, I'm jumping all over the place here, but even Stephen Furtick just preached recently that a harvest, we oftentimes think of a harvest as God's just hooking us up when in real, reality, if you talk to a farmer, you find out that the harvest is actually the hardest time of the year in terms of work for them. It's when they're getting up the earliest, going to bed the latest. And it sounds like that's what these pastors did to, uh, at, at Elevate Life Church, is that they were busting their butts to do their part, and then God came through in a big way on the back end. And I, I think you even allude to that, or even flat out say it in the book, is that that ultimately our provider is God but we can't underestimate what happens through the power of individuals. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so good. And I think that's, you
4: know, it's very true. I think there are, uh, particularly when it comes, well, I think a lot of things, that's kind of the, a bit of the punchline behind on seminary that, um, you know, one of the, it gets back to that 94% thing, one of the things that has struck me over the years having, um, you know, had a chance to really be on the inside of a lot of great churches you know there are there's a common desire to, to in churches that are making an impact to really learn from each other and to say what are some best practices from other churches that we can apply here like there's a part of this that isn't rocket science we all have the same mission we all have the same vision it's some you know some version of reach people and disciple them right mm-hmm, the question right? is how do we do that right what how, what processes are we following ultimately to, to see that happen and so um, you know, we want to ultimately provide resources that are you know, really on the on the how side of the equation to and hopefully develop some best practices and see churches really thrive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I want to tackle on this before we move on to the next church is mm-hmm. um, one of the principles you lined out is help the churches see the why and how. Um, and I'd really mm-hmm. like, like for you, uh, if you don't mind, to help us understand that Just because I think these days there's so much talk of mission, vision, values, and mission statements, and make sure you stay focused on the why. And I agree with all of it, but I think there's so many different, if I can say it, buzzwords around all of this, that it can start to become a little bit convoluted. And so for our young leaders out there listening, and even for myself, like, when you say the why, help us understand that, but then additionally, the how, like, I feel like this is the simple way of putting like the mission, vision and values thing right Right. here, but help us understand what you mean by that.
4: Yeah. So a bit of my, uh, it's my own bias coming out. I, um, I get nauseated at mission, vision, values (laughs) conversations. Actually, more specifically, mission, vision. Like there is so much. Like you know, what is your mission? What is your vision? Like what you know? How do they relate? um, Which one's more important? Which one should you talk about more? So you know, often what 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 we'll do, or what I'll when I end up communicating, you know, I try to I try to although you know we'll use language of like mission or vision. I really try to say like you know our big idea around here is this, or you know the thing we're really passionate about is. This, um, because I think that's just closer to like where people live. It's it's more, um, you know, it's it's more kind of realistic. So I I love Simon Cynic. Start with why. I think, mm. you know, the idea of when particularly when you're raising money, I think you have to be clear that the or, or step back. You can you can um, get they mix up in your head, and you start confusing. The big why. So why is it that we exist? What is it that we're? Why are we doing what we're doing? So I, you know, the, at Liquid Church, the church I was at in New Jersey, you know, we talked about, you know, our why, our big idea, the thing that we're passionate about is saturating the state. With the message of Jesus, with the gospel of okay. Jesus, that that's the thing we're going to come back to you time and time again. Why are we doing this? Because we want to saturate the state. We want to everywhere we go. We want to pour the gospel in. That that's really yeah. what we're about. Now, one of the problems when you get tactical around raising money is, um, the, or one of the risks is, you don't actually you you mistake the fact that the tactic that you're picking, so building a building or um, you know launching new campuses or something like that, the tactic actually. can, become the why so you start talking about how like it's super important that we build this new building or it's super important that we launch these new campuses and actually all those are our tools to get to the why they're not the big why Mm. so you know, it's, it's like you'll see sometimes you'll see churches talk about, you know, when they talk about multi-site, they'll be like, we're one church in many locations. And I'm like, that's kind of a small vision. Like, you know, that's a, that's a small why statement. Like, isn't it, shouldn't there be something more than just we want to do church in a bunch of different places? Isn't it about a bigger idea? And so that's what lended us ultimately to, you know, this idea of saturation, which kind of does hint towards our strategy, but doesn't it's, it's not our strategy. And so then the other side of it, the other risk, uh, when particularly when you're raising money, is you don't connect the dots on how the thing you're raising money for is ultimately driving the why. So um, how is it that building this new building, in this case, having excellent facilities that Facilitate that you know that ultimately you know gave gave this church more um, seating room or you know was in a better location. All of those things that you know they could actually ultimately keep uh, meeting because they weren't going to get kicked out of their facility. Um, you know, the, kind of connecting those dots for people so they can see. Oh yeah 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 okay I see. So if we do this, we'll ultimately. Uh, connect more to our, our why, or ultimately will drive more to our why. So, and the reason why I think you want to be clear on those two ideas is you're going to come back to your why time and time again, saturate the state with the message of Jesus, with the gospel of Jesus. But then, you know, you're going the how is going to change, right? So you're going to come back to, you know, our next thing that we're working on is this. And let me explain to you how by doing this, we're going to ultimately saturate the state with the message of Jesus. And so, you know, you, and, and you'll come back to that why all, you know, time and time again, uh, but you're basically just keep plugging stuff into that. And, you know, so you, even you say, like, you should be able to say with everything you do at your church, you know, because we do this, this is a part of our overall big idea or overall why. Um, so yeah, that, that is kind of the, in my mind, really, what differentiates between those two is that vision, is that mission, is that strategy? Uh, uh, you know, I'll leave that to other people who, you know, want to argue over that. I think ultimately, those two sides are important as we communicate, particularly around money stuff,
0: yeah, for sure. man, that's so good. So, so good. Love that. And I think especially for young leaders, stay focused on the why. This is something Carrie Newhoff has said and preached and screamed, and it has made a tremendous impact on me, and that in the teams that I've been able to lead, you always stay focused on the why. And then, like Rich is saying, you that the "how" always comes back to the why." This is what we're going to do because it affects the why. I love that. um so let's let's jump to the next one here. Um, th- this This chapter really blew me away. The unreasonable selflessness. Um, I love this because I think we're coming out of kind of a generation of pastors who didn't really want to work together, and I know that's a broad yeah. statement from a young guy, and i I, I want to be careful in <laughs> saying that. But even moving up here to New England and then talking to people up here, I'm, I've heard people say that churches didn't want to play nice together up here. They didn't really want to have anything to do with one another. And it, this is actually a, the, a church, Rich, that you worked at that this happened. Uh-huh. And so I want I'd love for you to tell this story. I This to me is still just an unbel- like almost unbelievable story.
4: Mm. Yeah. So this is amazing. It you know, there, there are a few times in your ministry career where you step back and, and you say, I, I'm pretty sure we just saw a miracle. Like we, we just saw something happen that, um, you know, it, I understand the kind of the old Testament, um, you know, instinct to say, let's get a pile of rocks and put them here and say, God did something, <laughs> uh, because it, it's clear, um, you know, it, and, and so, you know, the, the kind of, it's a hard story to compress but the kind of big idea was, um, actually I'll tell you the fun part of that. We, you know, we don't I didn't really dive too much into in the book. Um, so we, we had a, um, there's a guy by the name of Warren bird who you should have on your show. He's a great guy, um, who we had him come doing a, uh, it was doing like a staff training thing at our church. And at that point, our church is a few thousand people. We were just cresting over 2000. And so I asked him to come and say like, Hey, can you help us understand as we get to this next level, what are some things we should be thinking about? And at the end of that meeting, uh, that was on a Tuesday, at the end of that meeting, um, he said, he, just in passing, he said, you know, I just released a new book on church mergers, and you, you guys should take this book and as a gift, and because, you know, someday some church is going to call you. And so Tim, our lead guy, <laughs> was like, Oh, thanks. you know, and if you know you know, probably experience this even if you're a young leader, you know you're in ministry for very long. People just give you books all the time. It's like, hey, you should read this book <laughs> and so that book we went and took that book, and it warns a dear friend, so I can make fun of this took this book, put it on the shelf uh, on the like at some point we'll read it shelf um, and didn't really think of, of it. so that's on a Tuesday Wednesday morning, we get a call from literally the next day, from an elder at a church called Mountainside Gospel Chapel. Um, Mountainside Gospel Chapel was a 191-year-old church. Um, They uh, had had their best years, um, actually two years after they opened their their facility they were in, in 1972. So they were, um, they actually had kind of peaked at that point and had been involved in a really a long-term slide to the, down to the point. So they were probably at their largest 400 people. And they, by the time they had called us that day on that Wednesday, um, they were down to 29 folks. And, wow. uh, actually that phone, that phone call was, Hey, uh, would you ever be interested in talking about a merger? And so if you, if you can believe it, I, I literally think the way I've, I've read that is I think God, had such little faith in us that he was like, okay, I'm going to send Warren, the man of peace, and he's going to hand a book to you. And then the next day I'm going to have this guy call so that you can't mistake it. So you can't like, like fumble this one. It'll be so obvious. And so actually, you know, the amazing thing that transpired is 33 days from that original phone call, which is ridiculous, 33 days from that original phone call, uh, mountainside gospel chapel, um, Decided to give everything to us. We were a young church. We were like seven years old at that point. Here's this almost 200 year old church giving us all of their property, their manse, um, you know, the facility, and all that, and, and saying, "Hey, you know, here we want to give this to you to really reach the next generation." And the heroes of this story are Mount, the, the the really the elders and the leaders from from Mountainside Gospel Chapel. Um, Greg Haig, Dr. Greg Haig, who was the, the lead pastor at the, the point there. Um, you know, he's the hero of the story because they, you know, they would say and, and they would say this, it I, I keep using this in context when people I'm not making fun of them. They would say they put fun in fundamentalists. They they um you know they were considered themselves a fundamentalist church and um and you know Greg would say um and he still has said this publicly, he's like I, I just thought if I just kept preaching the word that people would come Uh, but I I realized we became out of step with the broader culture and we're, were unable to reach this generation. And so they looked at us and said, hey, those guys are declaring the message. Those guys are passionate about reaching the next generation. And they're, you know, they, shocker, they open the Bible every week and talk about what it has to say. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I'm not so sure about the music. I'm not so sure about the lights. I'm not so sure about the camera. I'm not so sure, like, there's stuff here I'm not so sure about, but we can set that aside because we think they're, what they're doing is, is really an amazing thing. And so, And that's why I say they're my heroes, because ultimately, you know, I hope when I get to that phase of my ministry, that I'll have the humility to say, you know what, we just need to hand this thing off, like lock, stock and barrel, let let the next generation. So the kind of punchline from that is, you know, within uh, within a year of opening its doors as a liquid church campus, it grew from that, those 29 people, uh, it grew up to over 800 folks. It became our fastest growing campus. Um, we baptized uh, the thousandth person that was ever baptized at liquid church was baptized there. Um, you know, that, you know, they like the following Christmas, they had, you know, close to 2000 people at their Christmas Eve services. It is it, crazy. Like it just, you know, God d- did an amazing thing through that campus. Um, and there's a lot to talk about. there. I could talk, that's a whole podcast interview. I could talk all yeah. day about what happened there. Uh, but it's pretty amazing. And again, the, the heroes of that story are, um, you know are the seniors who ultimately trusted and 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 we worked hard to try to um, you know do everything we could to honor them and to to go out of the way to to point to them and say listen what you're witnessing here what you 've witnessed here is a move of god these these folks they um, you know they did an amazing thing and actually that ended up becoming um Liquid actually ended up doing another one of those, which we could talk about another time or we can talk about now. Um, there was another church that actually came to us and gave us their building. Um, totally different story, uh, but, you know, in a, in a similar vein.
0: Wow. Man, we are going to you're going to have to just like keep coming back on the show. Like There's so much <laughs> that we can talk about here. Um, I, holy cow. That's just incredible. Um, and I would imagine, though, like these couple of stories, they're really inspiring. And someone out there listening may think like, yeah, that like we could do that. But I've also I've heard stories where they don't work out so well in um, and, and the, these these church mergers. They can definitely work. And Liquid Church is obviously a great case in point of that. But I, I think I, I what I what I what I hope people see is that, like, there's clearly a way to do it um, and, and go get Rich's book because <laughs> he can walk you through <laughs> some of that. And even Warren Bird's book then the, about church mergers. Um, yeah, that's a really, really great thing. And, you know, one of the things the principles in your in your book in, in this chapter in particular that kind of knocked my socks off was. The statement, because I feel like you made some really, really uh, bold statements in the book, like one of them sure. early on, the whole 94 percent of churches are losing ground. Um, that's obviously a st- statistic, but you followed it up with that uh, too many churches are, are too cowardly to go against the flow. That's a pretty bold statement. Yeah. And I feel like one that you made in this chapter is that churches have a lifespan. Um, And that can be something that's really hard to hear because I think this is another area that we kind of over spiritualize what happens in the church and that we think, uh, yeah, we're the church. The gates of hell won't prevail against us. And man, I totally agree with that. Um, The church, the gates of hell will not prevail against. However, oftentimes we become outdated and we're no longer reaching our culture. And we kind of put things on cruise control and think the things that we've always been doing are always going to work. And that's where the problem lies. And man, I am just blown away by how um, the pastor of this church was willing to just come and say, you know what? We're not, we're not doing it. I mean, his pride could have allowed him to drive that church straight into the ground. And for him to step up and say, you know what, you guys are clearly doing something right. And even though we may not fully agree with everything that you do, you're clearly doing something right. And I'm curious, did did the people, those 29 people or 29 families that were there? Did they stick around once it switched over to Liquid Church?
4: Yeah, so most of them did. Um, a part of what, uh, as as Dr. Haig, so he transitioned to like a different ministry role. In that transition time, he worked hard to ensure that everybody landed somewhere. Um, wow. And there were folks like there were people. Uh, there was this, a dear a guy Bob who was um a great guy uh, fantastic leader in the church and and he flat out said he was like i will not go to liquid church i can't stand the drums i can't stand the guitars like i i don't can't stand any of that stuff but it, what they're doing is an amazing work and i totally support it and and i am excited for that i'm excited and it's and he actually so he he um bob i i would think at the time of the vote bob was probably like he was 80s, 83, something like that. And so at the vote, actually, at the, the day of the vote, this is what he got up and said I'm not going to go, I'm not going to Liquid Church. I'm not, I don't like the drums. I can't stand the guitars. Like, it's too loud. And not so sure about this, but hey, I love, I, I love what this church is doing. This church is reaching the next generation. This is the kind of thing that we need in our community. This is why we exist. And then he lo- turned around and looked at everybody and he said, and if all you old people can't get, you know, can't get behind that, uh, then, you know, the problem's yours, not, you know, not, uh, you know, with the church or whatever, which is, which is great. Right. That's I was like, incredible. wow. And, I, you know, and I think, I hope that this connects with something I've said in other places that. Um, you know, I, for me, I love YouTube. I, I, I think YouTube's amazing. Like they're in this tour right now. And I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure like if heaven was just about me, like Bono and the edge would lead worship there. Like it like, that's what I, that's what I think. But you know, my kids, they can't stand YouTube. They were a part of that generation where, you know, YouTube put that, you know, that album, this was a couple years ago. Now they put that album on their, their iPhones, iPods. And it was like, what is this junk? Get this off my I don't and they literally it was it was free right and they wouldn't even take it. There's a lesson there. The church is one generation away from complete obscurity. You know, we we are if we don't, and, and the problem with it is it's not leaders. And I would say this even to young leaders It, you know, listen, I'm a Gen X leader. I was born in 1974, the lowest birth rate of the 20th century. So I, um, you know, I, I basically spent my whole career navigating between, um, you know, baby boomers and millennials. That's my whole life has been, how do I you know, deal with both of those people? Cause we're so few Gen X folks, but the, you know, the, the amazing thing, even as a millennial leader, as a young leader, you got to be obsessed about the next generation. Like you, you know. I, I know everybody's like, oh, millennials, this, millennials, this, that. I'm like, listen. There was a brief moment in the sun when when that happened with Gen Xers, and that day's gone. Um, you know what? If if we just obsess about millennials, like the the punchline and all that, is the next generation, currently called uh, Gen Z, or Gen Z. Um, that generation is larger than millennials. Um, there are more people in that next generation than there are millennials, and we have to keep worrying about how to reach that next generation. And so we we have to come with an open hand and say, "Listen, the there's parts of this that'll probably annoy me." Um, and you know, I've said that that's a part of the shorthand I've said with worship leaders, and you know, and and you know, p- p- creative folks. I'm like I'm like, listen. I'm a mid forties leader. This should not be great for me. I, I should be annoyed by this. It should get in under my skin because uh, we're trying to reach people in their twenties. We're trying to reach people in their thirties. Um, you know, we got to figure out how to do that because if we don't do that, you know, twenty years from now, the church will be, you know, in in relative obscurity. Wow.
0: And and as we kind of wrap up this section of the book, and I definitely want to get to one more before we end this conversation. One of the things you said, one of the takeaway points that I think is so crucial that we, we address here, you've kind of been alluding to it, but I love how you said it in the book, is church success is about faithfulness to the gospel, to Christ, not butts in the seats. Man, talk about that for just a second. Yes.
4: Well I think you know so vibrant churches are they what they 're obsessed with is not building big churches they what they 're obsessed with is getting people connected to jesus they you know the leaders in those organizations they wake up in the morning thinking how do we make Jesus famous, not how do we get more people to show up this weekend? And they lie awake at night and are broken by their neighbors who are far from God, you know, and and that's really what drives them. And so it's not ultimately about big churches. It's not ultimately about how do we you know use some kind of clever marketing campaign. But ultimately, once you as a leader, once you get over the hurdle that you know, as Craig Groeschel says, I'm willing to do anything short of sin to reach people for Christ. Once you get over the fact that it's it's not about you, it's not about your church, it's about reaching people, you're willing to do whatever it takes. You're willing to try whatever it takes. You're willing to invest the money. You're willing to, you know, find the leaders you need to find um, when you're focused on that mission, when you're in that spot where you're like, oh, this is what it's all about. Um, and and so we we can't be to uh, we need to hold our, our our strategies. We need to hold them um, with really loose hands. We need to hold what the way we're doing what we're doing with very loose hands. Um, you know, we need we need to. And that I think is that was easy to say. I can say this as a kind of leader in his 40s. That was easy to say when I was a young leader looking at boomers, and I was like, you guys need to like hold this thing with loose hands. Like you need to do stuff different. Um But now, as a guy in his, kind of leading in, in organizations, um it's more important now than ever that we uh, you know uh, that we release it and say, Hey, how do we hand this thing on? how do we yeah. how do we ask the question? the big question that ultimately questions the very foundation of what we're doing, the kind of our approach that says hey we're we're uh, going to try something different because ultimately we want to see people take steps into a more vibrant relationship with jesus
0: man that is that is just so, so good. I love that so much, and that it's ultimately not about growing our church. Earl McClellan was on the show not too long ago, and that's one of the things he was talking about that it, for him, it's not about growing a big church. And he even said, He was like, What is a big church? Too often we start right. comparing ourselves to Life Church or Elevation, the name brand churches you were referring to earlier. And we, we compare ourselves to them rather than realizing that, yeah, they have big churches and Life churches is reaching 80 bajillion people every weekend or whatever it is but there's still a ton more people out there that aren't stepping their foot through a church and it's our job to go reach them. I love what you were saying right there, that our job is to stay awake at night thinking like we've got to go reach the lost. That's what this is about. Uh, love that so much. So as we kind of, uh, tackle this one last section before we, before we end the show here, this one is unreasonable connections. And this is one of my favorite churches, um, is church of the highlands. And, um, they're, they're doing something with their small groups that I think is amazing. Um, and I'd love for you to talk about it.
4: Yeah. So Church of the Highlands, this is probably, well, it is the biggest church I talk about in the book and it's probably, it breaks my rule of like, you know, (laughs) there was one of six churches that we... Uh, you know, that everybody talks about because everybody talks about Church of the Highlands. So, right, right. Um, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it doesn't fit that. But I, the thing I wanted to talk about was exactly, you know, what we talked about here, which is, you know, the groups thing. So the interesting piece about them, they actually have, so it's a big church, you know, you're talking high 30,000, 30, you know, eight three nine thousand 39,000 um, people in, you know, that attend on Sundays. And they actually have more people attending groups than they do, Um, On Sunday morning, which is amazing, you know that that is, um, you know, for anyone who's interested in, you know, for anyone who's done group stuff, you know that that's very hard to do. And as churches get larger, um, you know, typically what like a lot of churches are stuck somewhere at thirty percent. They they'll talk about a bigger number than that. Again, I don't get into this in the book, but like when you get behind, like when you ask churches like how many people attend, they'll be like, we have seventy eight percent of people, and then when you actually ask a few more follow-up questions like, well, is that based on attendance or based on interest in groups, rosters, or is that, you know, what is that actual number? Well, you know, Church of the Highlands, I think is in a class of their own. I, I haven't run into, um, you know, any church that has as a high a percentage as them. Now there are churches that claim higher, but these guys actually have that many showing up. So they talk about what's called the free market approach to to groups. And, you know the the idea with with free market groups is they have taken a very open approach to leadership. They, you know, it's almost as easy. Well, it is basically this easy as, as saying, um, you know, how do we? If you want to identify, if you want to lead a group, um, basically define what you want your group to be. Um, take a, a a short, a short lesson, a short class. It's one hour long on basically how to get people into your group and how to, you know, lead a group. And then we're going to release you to lead that group and we're going to send people in your, your way. Now the, the, you know, the amazing part about that and, and all the groups, they're called a free market because they structure around different types of activities. So they, they're not just all like, um, you know, they, they have a kind of an affinity structure to them. So they're, you know, they have a whole bunch of different approach, you know, different ways that are different types of groups out there. So they're not just like, this is the group that meets in this area. There may be groups that are, you know, that maybe have like a sports focus to them, or there may be a group that are, you know, are interested in, um, you know, are like a certain day of the week, or have a, you know, a kind of a gathering of, um, you know, folks that are, are similar to you, rather than just this is the group that meets in this area. So, you know, the part that's interesting here is, I think all churches, again, if we're being honest, all churches struggle with the the, the tension in groups. The principle to pull out from this, the tension in groups between control and growth. You can have lots of control and you can have lots of growth, it's very hard to do both. Um, The the more you um, try to ratchet down and provide um, a high level of, um, you know, control that just ultimately will stifle groups. And so what they've said is they said, you know what we want to do, we want to take a real proactive stance and say, how do we get more people into groups and then manage the quality that's there and realize that that's going to, and they didn't say this, this is me putting words into their mouth, but realize that what you're doing is when you have a, a kind of a a bent towards, we're going to try to assimilate as many people as possible. You're going to run into leadership problems. You're going to run into, you know, pastoral problems. There's going to, you're going to end up with uh, what happens with the person that's leading a group that maybe shouldn't be leading a group, but, but what, but a more open approach or a free market approach, what that would say is, Well, isn't it great that we have some level of relationship with this person? Now, Mm. we know what's going on in their life where before – If we made them jump through, you know, a one-year class on, you know, how to grow a group. Well, first of all, they wouldn't be leading a group, and then we would have no relationship with them. They would just be out, you know, sitting in our audience, as opposed to, yeah, they maybe they're prematurely, you know, early into kind of groups a group leadership experience. But um, the fact that they're in a group leadership experience means that we have a connection with them. We're getting in front of them. We have, you know, some level of relationship upon which we can walk, you know, across that. And so, they, you know, they've taken a much more um, open approach, a free market approach to groups, which, you know, ultimately has has helped them um, and, you know, has, has driven, a, has been a big part of their, you know, kind of their growth driver at uh, at Trish Highlands.
0: For sure. And I love that, man. Like, it, you give an amazing illustration of this in the book, and I'm, I won't go into it, but it- uh-huh you look at even jesus like he appointed these 12 dudes that 11 of the 12 <laughs> right. were very unqualified the one that yes. was qualified ended up screwing jesus over like right what the right. heck it's true. We, we think it yeah, is can... the...
4: go ahead go ahead yeah, I was gonna say yeah. The only the, it's a you know it's a fun story. I, I ripped it off uh, um, another guy, Gene Getz. But it, it, you know the, the kind of punchline is if you were to look at Jesus' closest apostles, the disciples, and say, okay, who of all these people are are the most qualified to lead a worldwide revolution to structure an organization that'll have lasting impact two thousand years ago, two thousand years later? The only person you would you would pick is Judas. He's the only one because you'd say okay, this guy, these okay, you got like fishermen, you've got like, this guy Peter is like, he's just like spouts off all the time. You know, you've got uh, tax collectors, you've got like, you're starting from a Jewish base, you're clearly not going to take a tax collector. Then on the other side, you've got a zealot who they literally are the political enemies of the tax collectors. You know, those guys, they're going to fight amongst each other, there's no way. But you'd come back to you say, Judas, well, no, Judas, at least he like, he seems to be good with money. He can like, you know, knows when we have to like buy stuff. He can like actually structure some of that. He like seems to be able to string together, a, a, you know, a sentence or two. He's the only one where you see him actually building alliances. I know in the end the alliance he built was against Christ, but he, you know, actually went out and was able to, but you know, pull together people. You'd say Judas is the guy, where you know I think we can lose we can lose sight of that in our own leadership, where we you know realize. Yeah, you know, the original church went forth on people who are broken folks. We're all broken people. I'm a broken person. You're a broken person. Um, the, the, we are going to, the reality of it is at some level, you know, getting back to small groups, at some level, we all at some point release people into leadership. The question is, do we release early or do we release late? Do we, you know, and, and, and the only question is just where on that spectrum do we release? But ultimately, even the person who we've in a high control environment, who, you know, we've spent a ton of time with, even those people, you know, can end up stumbling or stubbing their toe or do something stupid and say something stupid. And you got to fix that problem. The thing I love about Church of the Highlands is, um, again, I'm using hyperbole to kind of prove a point. The thing I like about them is they've chosen to release early. They've said, you know what? We want to um, make it really easy for people to get connected. We want to have a really well thought out process, which they do, for getting into a group, and we want to match that with a very simple process for starting a group. And we think if we can do those two things together, we can grow quickly and ultimately get more people, you know, connected to, uh, you know, connected to the Kingdom of Christ, which has worked out in, you know, in their in their world for sure.
0: Man, I love that, and you know, for the churches out there, you talk about this in the book too, but that think that. Man, if we can just put on the best weekend experience, like that's, that's it. Like that's the win. Uh, but you, you, you talk about this in the book. I'd love for you to kind of jump on that real quick.
4: Yeah, so actually, you know, one of this again, this is I, I kind of touched on it, but it it, it refers to a, a lesson I've seen in in the churches that I've worked with directly. So one of the kind of interesting things about my background is, you know, I've launched thirteen different multi site campuses and have watched all those and have watched them grow and have you know tried to figure out what is the um, what is the differentiating factor with what makes a campus grow, what makes a campus not grow, and so you know we, I've led in churches where you know we had a campus that. Um, you know, we had five different campus pastors in five years. You know, we had, um, you know, some campuses where, you know, the music and the programming was great and somewhere it wasn't so great. You know, the interesting thing was, it seems to be that the defining factor of our the fastest growing campuses I've ever seen or churches I've ever seen is actually a high percentage of people in quality groups, that the the more people we can get into groups, the more people we can get plugged in, um, the, uh, you know, the more ultimately you're seeing those people, they're getting their, their needs met from a care point of view, they feel more plugged in. They're more willing to invite their friends because it's their church. It's not something they go to. It's not some, some show. And so, so, you know, a, a part of what I think, a part of why, you know, the free market system behind Church of the Highlands, a bit of the secret sauce of what's happening there is they've, they've hit on this fact that, you know, at the end of the day, getting people plugged into community, it's not about a big show. It's not about, and this is increasingly true, you know, like people can, you, you know, I were earlier, you referenced a, um, you know, Stephen Furtick message I listen to that exact message cuz he's in my podcast player right he's mm-hmm. I can get that teaching right I I can listen to Um, you know, I can call down great worship music. I've got Amazon Echo, literally just call out, I can play music from this church and it'll start playing, which is amazing. It's not about that. But ultimately, you know, there was a time where kind of those two things, great music and great teaching were what could drive a church. Now you still have to do those things, but really the undercurrent, the thing that girds underneath all of this is great relationships. If we don't get people plugged into relationships, it just feels like they're going to a show. It doesn't feel like they're um, you know, they're really plugging into a community. Does that make
0: sense? Absolutely. It's so, so good. So, Rich, I know we're coming to the end of our time here. Um, and one question we like to ask all the leaders that come on the show is, what is a misstep or a mistake you've made in your leadership? And how did you recover? Just simply because I, we talked about this a little bit before. I think oftentimes on podcasts and different things, it, it always seems up and to the right. Um, but we wanna, we want want to we want to make sure that our young leaders out there listening know that it's oftentimes through our failures that we learn the most, not through our successes. And so what's, what's something that's happened in your leadership journey that you would say, man, (laughs) I blew it. I messed up, but this is how we recovered. And this is how God is using it now.
4: I can only use one thing. I can't, you know, there's so much, um, you know, I, I, I were joking earlier. I was like, man, I, I've paid a lot of the stupid tax, uh, you know, in my ministry. um, So I, yeah, there's so much, I, you know, there is one thing that I would say um, like, this is a, a, a a problem, has been a problem in my ministry and really has continued. It started when I was in my twenties and it has echoed. It's been like a, it's been a hard lesson for me to learn, but I, you know, the value of the the relationships with the people you work with and work for um, is so high. You know, the, the, Um, like I cognitively understood, and I think most leaders cognitively understood that, like the people you interact with your, you know, whether it's your staff or your supervisor, like those relationships, like those are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to do everything we can to kind of forge strong relationships. But, you know, when I was early in my career, I was like a hothead, you know, like I got it all figured out. Like, come on, we can reach more people. Let's, let's do this. And, I stepped over some relationships that, um, that, and burned some relationships that, you know, really took me years to go back and be like, you know what? I need to, I need to mend some, some bridges here. And, um, and those, uh, you know, that has, has really stuck with me. And over time, now, the interesting thing in that, you know, uh, over time, actually those people where um that's happened, where maybe I've, I've misstepped relationally, I've, either, you know, just ignored someone's, you know, um, advice or I've hurt them by something I've said or done. And ultimately when, when we've been able to go back and patch those up, those ultimately become in the weirdest sort of way, those end up becoming some of the closest relationships. And so, wow. you know, and I, I wish that there, I wish that was like a, Oh, that's a problem from, you know, so long ago, like that, that, that is in my, that's, that's a part of leadership. I think that's a part of, um, you know, being in, you know, a place where you're making impact, there are times where um, it can get fuzzy in my own head around, like, what's more important, reaching people or the people we're working together, you know, to reach folks. And and I can blow over people um, and blow through people. Um, and, and, you know, and I've got to learn to step back and say, no, like, it, it's more important for me, for us to slow down and to you know, really care for the people that are, we're on this, you know, path together. I have a, there's a good friend of mine, uh, Peter Goweski, who is planting a church in, um, in Sarasota, Florida. I'm a coach with him or whatever. I'm on his overseers. And, you know, he, he said a really tender thing the other day. He said, you know, Rich, I, um, you know, I'm, I, I realize that I'm just, you know, I need to figure out how to continue to stitch these close relationships. Uh, how do I keep these relationships close? Uh, you know, for the long haul. That it's it's not just like how do we step through this, you know, over, you know, the next year, but how do we build a community of people who are um you know connected together and still friends years later doing, you know, ministry together. And and you know, being where I'm at now, again, I'm in that weird spot where I'm not like a young leader, but I'm not an old leader. I'm just a leader. Like I'm Mm -hmm. mid forties is kind of this weird middle ground. But I can say there are folks and you know we've talked about Kerry. He's one of those guys who I have you know real close fond relationship with and you know we We've we've been through some stuff together. We've been through some fire together. And being on the other side of that, I can say, listen, I I'd, I'd take a bullet for him, and and he's been the same on the other side. You know, he's so supportive and so encouraging. Um, but that doesn't happen when we take a short term view, right? That doesn't happen when you take like a, okay, what do we need to do now to kind of you know make the church happen, as opposed to you know the relationships that we have among us. They're more they're really important, super important. Um, and so I think it's easy as a young leader. To lose track of that, I know I've lost track of that in earlier in my in my ministry career, and um, you know I I hope that you know you can uh, I hope that's encouraging to other folks.
0: For sure, man. I know I can identify with that. Rich, I I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. Thank you for writing this book. It is so so helpful. Uh, And so, Rich, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, if they want to pick up the book, where are the best places to go about doing that?
4: Yeah, so the book you can just pick up at UnreasonableChurches.com. dot com. Um, that will take you to Amazon, uh, and Amazon really is the best place to you know to pick it up. So just UnreasonableChurches.com, dot uh, com, or you can drop by Unseminary Unseminary.com. That has all my contact information, email, you know, all the social media stuff and all that. That that would be the best way to get in touch with me.
0: Awesome, Rich. Thanks so much for coming on today. I can't wait to have you back. Thanks so
4: much. Love what you're doing. Love Creative Sheep, and let me know if there's anything I can do to help you.
1: Thank you so tremendously much for listening to this episode of the Leader Sheep Podcast. If you would like to get in touch with us, maybe you want to send us uh, uh, maybe you wanna send us a note or send us an, a comment. The note thing you couldn't do do by finding us online at creativesheep.org, but you could send us a tweet or an uh, Instagram post. Uh, and we would love to hear from you. Maybe you got someone you'd love to hear on the podcast, you got a suggestion for a, a guest, hit us up online or as always go to creativesheep.org. You can check out the show notes for this episode right there. Uh, yeah, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to get a conversation going, Jared. We would. That's, there's nothing we would love more.
0: That's that's absolutely right. And you know, uh, uh, Roman, someone could send us a note if they really wanted to. Uh, you could you could mail that uh, through the postal system to PO Box four seven zero eight seven two Tulsa Oklahoma. Uh, I think it's seven four one four seven. I believe, and uh, you can
1: please you put, please send us mail. You
0: sh- please you really really should send us mail um, if you really wanted to drop a note. And as Roman said, I would like to extend a copious amount of, of thank yous for listening to the show. Mm. We could not do this without you. We would not want to do this without you. And on our way out, uh, with this being the last episode for a while, that Landon's going to be able to join us for uh, Landon. We would like to get for you to give us your top three podcasts that you listen to. And you cannot say this one just because you're on the show, but uh, we need your top three podcasts that you're listening to right now. On your mark, get set, a go.
2: Well, on the spot, here we go. Um, Craig Rochelle's Leadership Podcast uh, is a must for me. Um, I'm probably going to butcher the name on this one, but you guys can probably back me up here. Uh, how how it was built. How, is that how right? it's built, man. There it's it awesome. Is. I love that how podcast. I built my favorite how now. I built this. <laughs> how I built it. Roman's yeah,
1: yeah. favorite <laughs> <laughs> podcast, everyone. <laughs> That's what it is, man. So, That's how it's
2: built. How it built it. So. How it built it. It's what it's called. How I built this! How
0: I built this! It is yeah, so good. It is so good. That's my favorite podcast right now. Too. What's
1: your favorite episode
0: of that podcast?
2: Oh man, uh, I I love I I love Southwest. Mm. Um, I haven't listened to that one yet.
0: Southwest Airlines was a great one. Whole Foods, Whole Foods was good.
1: Yep. Uh, Warby Parker's was amazing. What, who is he? Parker's.
0: What did he do? So so, sorry, folks, since you're listening right now, let me fill you in. Basically, the premise of this podcast (laughs) is that this guy from NPR named Guy Raz interviews these amazing people that have done amazing things. Um, So like what we're we're talking about is an interview with uh, Herb Kelleher, who uh, started Southwest Airlines, Uh, John Mackey, who who started Whole Foods, Um, and then Warby Parker, who who Roman is talking about. And I don't remember what he did. Um, Roman, (laughs) fill us in on who that is. is.
1: this is hilarious because Warby Parker is not a person, and oh. you're talking like he is a person. <laughs> it's <laughs> two gentlemen that started a company called Warby Parker. Ah. Uh, and uh, the, it's just fun to think of, of a guy named Warby.
0: Dude, I would say the interview with uh, Troy Carter, who discovered Lady Gaga, is incredible. And then I don't remember the guy's name, but one of my favorite episodes so far is the dude that invented the Atari. Um, not only did he invent the Atari, he also invented Chuck E. Cheese, which is crazy. W- weird combo. Of yeah. Things. Well, but it all started in his love of video games. That's where the whole thing came from. It was. It's. It's just amazing when you hear this guy's story. And in fact,
2: what's so games. funny
0: is how it became Chuck E. Cheese. He had gone to a costume convention to buy the the. Uh, Um, The character, what what am I trying to think of? The mascot. That's it. The mascot. He thought he had bought a coyote and it was going to be something like coyote pizza was going to be the name of this. And he brought it back, gave it to his guys and they were working on it. And he came back to him and was like, so how's, how's the coyote? And they were like, what are you talking about? And he's like the mascot. And they said, Oh, you mean the rat? He's like, the rat what's the rat it's amazing you need to Hi. go you need to go listen to this i always
1: wondered why that they would choose a rat for a pizza place mascot
0: totally by accident so he hands it over to his marketing team and they ended up coming up with chucky e. cheese because he was his marketing department was like nobody's gonna go to a pizza place where their mascot is a rat i think this is because okay so this guy
1: he he has the capital and money to have a marketing team, but he can't buy a new mascot costume.
0: (laughs) But he made it work. He made it work. Talk about ingenuity. I was fascinated on that episode as well as the Whole Foods episode because they were talking about capitalism and like why it's awesome. Um, And I was actually blown away that John Mackey was talking about how great capitalism is. But go check that podcast out. Sorry, we took a drastic tangent on that one. So, uh, Landon, you so so far the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast, how I built this, it's how I built this. Um, And (laughs) lastly,
2: well, first of all, I'm I'm going to throw in uh, the very first podcast actually on there is uh, is I absolutely am fascinated by it, but it's Spanx. Uh, how the company Spanks came about. Incredible. Uh, so you are got to scroll all the way down. Very first one. So it's good. It's inappropriate, Landon. It's inappropriate for the Leadership Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. We, we're,
1: we bring you into our home. We, we invite you onto our show, and you advertise Spanx.
2: <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to wrap it up with, I'm going to have to say a genuine third one in the mix. It's got to be the Creative Sheep Podcast, because I've listened to every single episode, and I can't say that about any other podcast. So, It's got to be in the top three.
1: I wish you would call it by its proper name, which is the Leadership Podcast. I
0: apologize. Roman, did you just call it the Leadership Podcast? No, I said Leadership. Oh, I I did. I thought you called it by the wrong name, too. And I'm like, it's your podcast.
2: Just just go to creativesheep.org and listen to the Leadership Podcast
0: there we go i hey, appreciate it man thanks again for stopping by landon thank you roman thank you everybody over at creative sheep uh which would include myself that's a ridiculous <laughs> thank you <laughs> but folks thanks so much for listening uh we hope you got a lot out of this make sure you swing by you can go to leadershippodcast.com it'll take you directly to all of the show notes if you want to check out more or find any of the links that we talked about on the show today uh, we'd be happy for you to do that and until next time Uh, folks, make sure you you hit subscribe. Uh, We've got a a tremendous mini series coming up on church planting. The next three episodes, in fact, are specifically about planting churches. Um, I would encourage you to stick around for those. They are incredible. So folks, we hope that our conversation today has inspired you to get better on your leadership journey. And until next time, I'm Jared. This is Roman and Landon Stop by. Peace out.
1: Bye.